Um, so I like half went viral this week. <laughs> I know. That's really exciting. I could not believe it. It had like 90 something comments. I know. And it's up to over 2000. So. so for everyone. And I made this for meme. everyone's information. Allie made a meme this week based <laughs> on what else but a quart of thorns and roses. Of course. Um, and yet it got like all these reshares, all these comments. Very exciting. I was like, this is overwhelming. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> it's a very scary feeling feeling when like you post something and then like it you're like it gets a little bit of attention and yours got like i would say as far as the internet goes like normal person attention like a medium amount of it like but like that's as far as like like terms of like internet stuff yes like in my opinion like it's like some attention is like i don't know 17 comments yeah this was a couple hundred likes yeah this one was like i would say yeah medium to like (laughs) I don't know. I would say like size 10. I felt really uncomfortable. I was like, (laughs) I don't know what to do now. That was very exciting, though. Yeah, I did it. It was a very funny meme. I know, especially since it is like A Court of Thorns and Roses is a like Beauty and the Beast retelling. So it was very meta. Yes, it was. It was uh, because it was Belle in the bookstore and she like reads the same one over and over again. And she's holding A Court of Thorns and Roses, (laughs) which I think she would love. She would. She would love that series. Of course she would. But we're not here to talk about that today. No. Also, to be clear, she'd be reading Mist and Fury over and over again. Yeah, that's the best one. <laughs> that's the best one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're not here, not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians and we are fresh off a of vacation. Yes. So we are like back. I can't tell if I'm going to be rusty or like ready to demolish this story. I don't know. We've only got four weeks left in our banger season. I can't believe it. I know. <laughs> and then we're going to have to do like two straight seasons of all requests. Yes, absolutely. Because so they are met. They're piling, piling up. up. I get more every day. And then yeah. anytime I talk to like a friend or go to like one of Jake's work parties, they'll be like, guess what I heard? Yeah. And then I have to like text myself the name of this woman so they can like see me saving it on my phone. <laughs> it's like the only thing people know to talk to me about. Yeah. It is very exciting, but it is overwhelming. Um, yeah. So we do have a running list. So but keep going. And get in any last minute requests, let us know because that's going to be next season for sure. Yeah. We're planning a lot. Yes. Um, but you're busy because you're just coming back from vacation and you are trying to get all the sand off of everything you've brought back. You're doing laundry. You're emptying suitcases. It's a mess. You're so, picking your pets up from boarding places. Yes. So you've got your AirPods in. You're doing all this. You don't even know where your phone is. So mm-hmm. even if you wanted to look up what these women look like, you can't because your phone is somewhere in the suitcase. Yeah. My phone's also not back here right now. Yeah. So that's really upsetting. Yeah. To me. <laughs> Um, so we're going to describe what they look like for you. So you can have a picture in your head. Good. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? So I am doing Amelia Boynton Robinson and I always picture her in her older years because she's been old literally my entire life. (laughs) Um, so I view her usually sitting down in a wheelchair. She wears large statement earrings, has short gray hair, and the wrinkles of a life well lived. Um, but when you find younger pictures of her, she was just lovely. She had a sweet smile, but usually a closed lip smile and a determined look about her with just a very lovely complexion. Oh. African-American woman, by the way. I don't Perfect. think I said that. 
Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Who are you doing and what does she look like? I'm doing Adrienne de Lafayette. Woo! Adrienne was a petite, light-skinned French woman with rosy cheeks, dark eyes, and seemingly always gray hair. I thought this was very interesting. There's one young portrait of her and two older ones, and she always seems to have like gray puffy hair was so it still into be powdered at that time i think it was so it like especially the younger picture of her it looks powdered mm-hmm. so i'm guessing that that was just the style of the time and probably they didn't have the availability to bathe as often so like make your hair yeah. not smell like shit mm-hmm. yeah um but also maybe a great early because she was always so worried about the safety of her husband because <laughs> he is always out and about yeah um not philandering not philandering No, but all. he was but never at home. Never at home. <laughs> uh, she would have always been dressed in the latest fashion since she was a very wealthy Parisian woman. Um, and in all three portraits, she has something in her hair, whether it was a hat or a headband of some sort. So that is what she looks like. Just a French aristocratic woman from the late 1700s to early 1800s. Perfect. Classic. A, cl- a classic beauty. <laughs> In the era of Marie Antoinette. Exactly. She comes up in this story. I, I know she does. We know where Lafayette is from. <laughs> um, so, Allie, what are we drinking? This so looks delicious. It, I'm really excited about it. I decided to try some pretty hard liquors altogether. Um, it's called Bridges Worth Crossing, mm-hmm. and it is equal parts dark rum, mm-hmm. Campari, uh, orange cognac liquor, and then lime juice. And then I put fresh Maryland blueberries in it because Yay. we went blueberry picking this week. So cheers. cheers. Poured over ice. Mm. I love it. That's really good. I thought it would be way mm. too strong. No. I think the lime juice really cuts through, but it doesn't exactly taste like lime juice. It no. It just gives it like a nice acidity. And I feel like the rum cuts mm. the bitterness of Campari because mm-hmm. I really think that rum is, is sweet. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that does not taste how I thought it would. What I thought it was going to be a lot sweeter, but it's not. Mm-hmm. That's delicious. All right. Perfect. So what do I know about this woman? What do you know about Amelia? <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard her name before. You'll Once we talk about her story, you'll be okay. able to picture her in your head. Okay. Perfect. And that's why she's a banger. I think everybody can picture her, mm-hmm. but they don't know who exactly she is. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, I I don't recognize her name. I know she's a civil rights activist, Mm -hmm. um, but that's like pretty much it. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to tell you her life story. This isn't super long because she was just on like a one track path. Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't a lot of zigzagging for her. Um, I got my, I obviously I I did Wikipedia. I watched um, the, they dared YouTube video and then a ton of, interviews with her because she only passed away recently so we there's a lot especially with like certain 50 and 50th anniversaries of different civil rights things and Mm -hmm. her still being alive um I feel like there was a lot of her and John Lewis Mm -hmm. for for a while because they were at a lot of like pivotal moments where many of the other members had passed away Mm. okay so let's get going Amelia Isadora Platts was born in Savannah, Georgia on August 18th. Happy birthday, girl. (laughs) 1911. Her dad's name was George and her mom was Anna Eliza. We don't have a lot about them, but she was African-American. And uh, but she was also like had mixed ancestry of some German and some Cherokee. 
Uh, church was very important to her family, as it is in the South. Um, she had nine siblings, and they all attended church weekly. As a young girl, she became involved in campaigning for women's suffrage, because even though by the time she was a young girl, white women in the United States were able to vote, women of color and people of color, specifically in the South, couldn't vote for freely for many years after mm -hmm. that. Um, I think like free voting for black women in certain Southern states wasn't um, easy and accessible until around 1960. So we're talking like she's a young girl, like I should be able to vote. My mom should be able to vote because women have the right to vote. Mm -hmm. um, her family encouraged reading and self-education among all nine of the children. And Amelia started her higher education by spending two years at Georgia State Industrial College for Colored Youth. It's now Savannah State University, which is an HBC. Mm. Um, and then she transferred from there to Tuskegee Institute, which is now Tuskegee University. And she earned her degree in home economics. Wow. In the 1920s, which I desperately need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A degree in home economics because I have none of those skills. <laughs> she also... Um, Throughout her life, spent time going to different institutions. She spent time at Tennessee State, Virginia State, and Temple University. So she's a very well-educated mm -hmm. woman, especially for being a black woman at that time in the United States. Yeah. Her first job was for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. She was an educator, and it was her job to um, give home demonstrations in like Dallas County and in Selma. She would educate the community about food production and processing and nutrition and healthcare and other subjects like that. So I think we've heard of a lot of women of color doing this in the past or people of color doing it in our other stories where if you're trying to get a community of color to kind of change medical behavior, it's very intimidating to send in a white doctor because yeah. they have done taken advantage of them in the past yeah there's a lot there's a big history of mistreatment and right. which causes mistrust a, a longevity of mistrust yeah. which is very understandable exactly <laughs> so amelia working for the u.s department or the usda um was really helpful because she could be in selma in a very racially charged area talking to people of her community and how to deal with nutrition and health care mm-hmm in Selma, she met her future husband, Samuel William Boyton. He was working as a he was working as a county extension agent during the Great Depression. So it was one of those jobs FDR put together, like to keep people working. Mm -hmm. The two married in 1936, and they had two sons, Bill and Bruce. Bruce's middle name was Carver because. His godfather is George Washington no. Carver, the peanut, man. the peanut Man. This is the first original Mister Peanut <laughs> that I she's love connected that. to. That's really fucking cool. She's connected to so many very famous men, um, but this is one of them. And Amelia and her husband Sam had both known him because he went to the to the Tuskegee Institute as well. So they all went to college together. Wow. Isn't that fun? That's really fun. I he invented that. what two hundred uses of peanuts or something? Something like that. He's basically like the Albus Dumbledore of peanuts. <laughs> Honestly, as he is to dragon dragon's blood. blood. <laughs> exactly right. That's what J.K. Rowling was going for. George Washington Carver. 
Um, later though, if you remember, Amelia had nine siblings. So later, she also ended up adopting two of her nieces from okay. some of her siblings. So she ended up having two sons and two daughters. In 1934. Amelia became one of the only black citizens that was able to register to vote in Alabama. It's extremely difficult in Alabama. They put as many blockers in the way, such as things like poll taxes and reading tests and all these things to make it very, very difficult. Um, And at that point, it had been about a half a century sense that 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 black people were just excluded from politics in Alabama even though it's post civil war it's post 1900s um and it was just like one of those like roadblocks that she kept having to jump over then she writes a play huh she just jumps right on it right. um she writes a play called through the years which tells us the story of the creation of spiritual music and it's focused around a former slave who ends up being elected to congress and it's based on her father's half brother robert smalls so this is interesting because she's not just pushing voting rights by saying women should have the right to vote. She's not just doing it by registering to vote. She's also writing plays that Mm. put it in, like, the persona of people. Like, oh, yeah, I remember, like, black people can be involved in politics. Right. Because I think people really underestimate the importance of, like, something that touches you culturally. Right. You know, and something, like, it's like how, like, it's hard to understand the scope of, like, the opioid crisis and then, like, you see an actual like show about it or a movie and you're like, oh my God, like seeing it from the perspective of like people suffering, like, sure. you're like oh, that I get it. And like, it touches me. Like yeah. news stories can feel so far away. They're so cold. Yeah. And when you're actually like putting art to work, you know, like art to the reality, I think it really can touch maybe the people who are just out of reach. Exactly. And I love that. She- yeah can see that that's so interesting and she didn't just like do it for herself she did it to help fund a community center Mm -hmm. like they needed money and she's like i know a way we can make money i'll write this play amazing i know two birds with one stone exactly (laughs) so with amelia being so actively involved in the communities in alabama you can imagine someone wanted to meet her. So in 1954, she met uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This is the second very famous guy. <laughs> and um, activist Coretta Scott King at a church where Martin was the pastor. Soon after that, her son Bruce was a student at Howard University School of Law, another HBC. And while he was commuting to and from this school he was arrested for buying food in the white bus terminal and found guilty um as a virginia state misdemeanor oh my god i know fortunately bruce appealed this ruling and it went all the way to the supreme court (laughs) where it was heard by thurgood marshall oh my god the third very famous black man in this story (laughs) bwi Thurgood Marshall International Airport. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and he reversed the lower court decision. Wow. So her son was no longer guilty of a misdemeanor for buying snacks at a white bus terminal. That's insane. That's crazy. Jesus Christ. It's not only like sitting in the seats, but you can't even shop here. I don't know. It's crazy to me. Okay. (laughs) 
1963, though, Amelia's husband of about 30 years passes away. Now, his last name did remain her middle name for the rest of her life. That's Mm -hmm. why it's Amelia Boynton Richardson. She Mm -hmm. never drops his last name, even though she goes through other marriages. But after her husband passed, she ramps up her activism in the civil rights movement. She made her home and office in Selma a center for strategy sessions for the Selma civil rights battle, including its voting rights campaign. A year after she decides, you know what I'm going to do? Because I can register a vote. I'm going to run for Congress for Alabama. (laughs) She did this in hopes to encourage black voters to register. She was like, if I'm running for Congress and they see me and they want to vote for me, then maybe they'll really push registering to vote. Mm Mm-hmm. She becomes the first female African-American to run for office in Alabama and the first woman of any race to run for the ticket of the Democratic Party state. She was running to be an Alabama state senator, first black woman and first woman to do that. She ended up receiving 10 percent of the vote. Wow. I know. That's pretty big. It is big. Yeah, it's more than like Connor Roy got in succession. (laughs) What a great connection, Katie. <laughs> what a great cultural connection. <laughs> yeah, I'm just impressed by that. Yeah. That I think at that point, Selma was 50% black people uh-huh. and only 300 of them were allowed to vote. And she still, oh my she still got 10% of the vote. Again. It's That's amazing. Like, it's so bananas to hear like the actual numbers uh-huh. of like only 300 were registered were to registered. vote. It's- yeah. The following year, she worked with Dr. King, Diane Nash, James Bevel, and other Southern Christian leadership. She was like one of the daring eight who like was pushing the rights to vote um, and doing many demonstrations in Alabama to protest continuous segregation and disenfranchisement of black citizens of the U.S. Amelia helped organize a march to the state capital of Montgomery. This event although eventually is successful, the initial two times it was not. Hmm. The first event became known as Bloody Sunday. When they're marching across, you know, the bridge to Selma to get to Montgomery, she's marching along with other famous activists, including Rosa Parks, and the county and state police stop them as soon as they cross the bridge into Dallas County. Boynton was beaten up until she was unconscious and there is a famous picture of her lying in the middle of the Edmund I think it's the Edmund Pettus bridge um but just in the middle of the bridge that we famously see like yeah. eventually Martin Luther King walk across and it went global oh my this God. image of her knocked out on the ground from going across mm. in a 2014 interview she said then they charged they came from the right they came from the left One of the troopers shouted, run. And I thought, why should I run? Then an officer on horseback hit me across the back of the shoulders and for a second time on the back of the neck, and I lost consciousness. It's a really sad picture because it's a series of pictures. There's one where she's, like, laying on the ground and, like, had fallen on this man's lap, and then there's one where they're trying to, like, pick her up and get her out of the street because, I mean, she was very well-loved in that community. Mm -hmm. She ended up suffering from throat burns from the effects of tear gas. It was like a bad situation for her. This was just the first attempt. The first attempt, yes. 
but the group was relentless. Only two days later, another march takes place, and she goes to this one two days after oh being knocked unconscious. This time, Martin Luther King Jr. is there. They get to the bridge, they cross it, and they turn around and go back. That's the goal. We're just going to see how far we can push it. Mm-hmm. It was 2,500 people. Um, and again, uh, MLK was there, so the idea of peaceful protest and knowing that the news was going to be on him right. makes things much bigger. The events of Bloody Sunday, though, helped galvanize the national public opinion and helped contribute to the passage of the Voting Rights Act Um, because like I said, remember only 300 people could vote, but by March of 1966, after the passage of the Voting Rights Act, 11,000 black people in Alabama registered to vote (laughs) or in Selma alone. I should also point out that she wasn't like a forgotten figure after this march took place and they Mm -hmm. eventually got to montgomery she was one of the people invited she's in that picture of lyndon b johnson signing the civil rights act she's in the oval office with him so it's not like she's one of those people that got forgotten to history she's just not a household name yeah Mm -hmm. like she was at all the things that everybody else was at right it also didn't seem like she was like a one-hit wonder you know like right a lot of people like you mentioned rosa parks earlier she's like a perfect uh symbol of that right people think she was a little old lady on a bus and Mm -hmm. actually she was in the movement the entire time yeah she's like helping anita hill (laughs) present her case to the supreme court yeah it's crazy um yeah so i mean she she does these two the one unsuccessful march and then the one half march and then the one full march. Mm-hmm. Um, but she did all those things before, too, to help out with the Selma um, Voting Rights Act. She ends up getting remarried in 1969 to musician Bob Billups, who unexpectedly dies in a boating accident in the 70s. And she does remarry for a third time to Jamie Robinson, who was a former classmate at Tuskegee Institute. Um, And she moved in with him after their wedding. But again, he died in the 80s. So she was widowed three times in her life. It's really depressing. But then she met lyndon larouche and i this is the most confusing part of her story but i have to mention it because it's the most controversial part of her story and maybe why she's not as well known Uh this is a white politician from the 80s he is a very far left democratic conspiracy theorist kind of political democrat Uh and amelia was kind of on one of the founding members of his the board of his institute um and he later gets convicted of mail fraud like 12 accounts um for over two hundred eighty thousand dollars. so he was doing a lot of really shady shit um but she's still highly involved with the institute that he created they Mm. even published a book about her where they said that she is his most high profile black spokeswoman so like she's very involved in like his innocence and the not necessarily that he's innocent for the mail fraud but like that the good he did outweighed the bad okay and people yes she's she's an apologist of his and people really don't like that about her yeah So it's kind of a dark stain on her resume because he's very, very not well-liked and a lot of things referring to him call him like a cult leader, not a political following. So it's kind of very weird. Yeah. For example, in 1992, Seattle had um, an Amelia Boynton Robinson Day 
But after a lot of this Institute stuff came out, they rescinded the day. They, like, took oh, it away. No. So there's, like, no longer a day for her there. Um, but she says that people have the wrong idea of him and that the government is spreading lies about him. So I don't really know what's going on. I okay. did a little bit of research on him, but... He just kind of seems like a douchebag politician, and she was just involved in politics and needed somewhere to hang her hat. Yeah. I think. Interesting. Yeah, it's very weird. Then, in 2004, uh, Amelia decides to sue Walt Disney, and kind of for a good reason. The company had um, put out a movie called Selma, Lord Selma, and it was a docudrama based on Bloody Sunday. And she was portrayed as a stereotypical black mammy like throughout the film and she sued them for defamation yeah she was like this is really upsetting i hate the way that this is portraying me as a black woman from the south uh she did lose the lawsuit because you can't come at disney's lawyers that's deep it's near impossible uh, (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of them (laughs) yeah um but then in 2007 amelia showed her true colors when she attended the funeral of jim clark who was the former sheriff of dallas county like one of the people who had her beaten to unconsciousness she goes to his funeral to pay her respects why She just believed in MLK's peaceful ideas, in the idea of forgiveness, in the idea of, I don't think he meant that violence to happen as a sheriff, and it did happen, but it's okay, and we're over it now. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it also makes big news for you to go there, and it makes you look like the good guy, and he can't say anything about it because he's dead. dead. You got the final word, Amelia. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. I would love to give the the final word at everybody's funeral. Later that year, she toured Sweden and Denmark and Germany and France and Italy in her capacity as, like, vice president of this institute for this guy. But she's talking about him. She's talking about MLK. She's talking about FDR, all the good things they did for this country, the continuing problem with racism in the United States. And through her life, she got many really cool awards among doing tons of amazing things for one she received the mlk junior freedom medal she wrote a memoir called bridges across jordan in which she gave tribute to her very good friend coretta scott king and in 2014 she had a five block section of boynton street or of in selma named boynton street after her Hmm, very cool that same year the film selma came out This time, she loved the movie and its portrayal of the people involved. She was 103 at the time, though, so she couldn't... 103? My God. She couldn't make it to the movie theater, so Paramount Pictures set up a private viewing in her home (gasps) for her and her close family. That's very cool. And then in 2015, she got to attend the State of the Union Address for Barack Obama. And was at his side on the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. On March 7th, 2015, Barack Obama reached down to Amelia in her wheelchair and held her hand as they crossed the bridge to Selma for the last <laughs> time. Oh There's a really beautiful picture. She's in a lovely blue blouse in a wheelchair. Barack is holding her hand on his other side. Um, is John Lewis and Michelle is holding his hand and they're you know followed by thousands of people 
walking across this bridge together on the place where she was knocked unconscious 50 years to the day before that. And that was her last time across that bridge. Mm. Because on August 26, 2015, with just eight days to her 104th birthday, (sighs) Amelia passed away after suffering a series of strokes. Mm. And that's Amelia's story. Oh, my god! I know it's a short one, but it's such a hard-hitting story. It is. The end really got me. I know. Especially because it's like a little bit of a roller coaster there. Yeah. You know? It's like, because, again, it's like, People have weird parts of their stories sometimes that, like, you're like, why did they do that? Where were you going with this? We all have that one time in our lives. Of course. But, yeah, ending it like that is so amazing. I can't wait to show you the picture. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And then, like, she, there's so many cool interviews of her, like, with Barack Obama. And I can't imagine being part of the civil rights movement and being, like, the first African-American female to run for senate in alabama and then to be alive to see the first black president like what you did meant something it it changed the world yeah that's so fucking cool yeah to see the fruits of your yeah labor and that's why she's a banger (laughs) yeah she stuck around man i love it and that's amelia let's go get another drink all right more drinks back for the second half part two another like kind of kind of banger kind of involved with famous men yeah but not very well known her wikipedia page is like an inch long i'm sure believe it yes i'm sure yeah it's so annoying um it was really hard to come by information on adrian de lafayette so i was like really irritated this week because it would be like she did these really cool things. I'm like, can I get some more information on that, please? Can you give me God? a bulleted list of her cool things? Like, they'd just be like, she outmaneuvered, like, the entire, like, Napoleon. I'm like, how? How? Somebody tell me. What does that mean? <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, so this will be interesting. Uh, do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. <laughs> it's beautiful. This is called The Queen of Two Worlds, which will be make more sense at the end of the story sure um so this is vodka creme de cassis cream of coconut cinnamon apple brandy and garnished with apple it's so it's kind of like a combination we're getting close to fall i know it's a combination of like a french and american cocktail Mm. Ooh, it has a very deep taste Mm, it does Mm. Mm. I like, I like that it. a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it has coconut in it, but I don't taste the coconut Mm-mm. at all. Mm-mm. I'm actually getting a shocking amount of apple flavor. Sure. Which is surprising to me. Yeah. Apple's um, kind of hard to get to stick out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's delicious. Um, yeah. All right. So what do you know about Adrian de Lafayette? So I know that her husband came on over to the Americas and helped with the American Revolution in hopes that the same thing could happen in his country. Mm-hmm. And then he went home and overthrew uh, the Louis and Marie mm-hmm. Antoinette and had their heads cut off. <laughs> and then I think he, um, this is the story I'm telling you about him. Uh, I think he helped try to develop this new government. And there was like an intern government with all these different people in charge. But during the revolution, I think Adrian sent her children over to America to keep them safe. 
least one of them. At yeah. least one of them yeah. to, <laughs> to the Americas. Um, and then, I, I mean, from there, I know Napoleon took over and tried to conquer the whole world. Yeah. And I think he kind of got rid of a lot of the people that were helping set up the government. <laughs> so, and that's the hard part about the story. She is adjacent to these huge, huge historical events. And her right. husband is in the thick of it. Oh, yeah. But it's so hard because it's like, this isn't the story of him. It's the story of her. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's really difficult because it's yeah. like, she's literally surrounding like the American Revolutionary War mm -hmm. and the French Revolution and Napoleon's rise. But I don't get into any of those things too deeply. <laughs> well, I mean, you couldn't because there's it would take two hours. There's entire books on all of those events. Yeah, I just can't. Do I can't, and I frankly don't want to. And also, we've gone through. We did um, Maria Tussaud, uh -huh. and we did um, the Marie Antoinette, right? And we did the woman Lafayette, who was um, King Louis's defense attorney mm -hmm. that got in trouble for mm -hmm. being his defense attorney because she believed in equal rights. Right. <laughs> So, so I, there's so much. We've talked about it. And you know a lot about it. So I'm just not really going to get into it. I'm going to go around it. Um, and also, her husband, the Marquis de Lafayette, is a very famous person who is typically just referred to as Lafayette. Yes. Um, but I will be calling him by his name, Gilbert, because what a great he name. is not the solo Lafayette of the story. So I don't think he should get sole credit for no, their... I agree title name whatever yes yeah. and for people who don't know maryland we have many streets named after him yes, we do there's a lot named after and him. <laughs> in very northern maryland and have it a grace we have the lafayette trail because mm -hmm. that he was stationed in the northern chesapeake bay for a lot of the war yeah um so he was like up in the have it a grace region which is why it's a french name that's so Havre de Gras. crazy i know i every time i walk there i'm like was he here yeah is he here <laughs> I think he was here. <laughs> I also did not realize. I didn't realize how young the founding fathers were. I yeah. was discovering a lot this week because they were little baby babies. Lafayette was like twenty when yeah. he came over. <laughs> yeah, crazy. he was very young. Hamilton was very young. The others were a little older, but those boys—they were baby, baby boys. I like. I think it was like um, I don't know. One of them was like. 18 or 20 yeah. or like at the, the signing of the declaration of independence and i'm like yeah. what's happening yeah they were like <laughs> they were like middle-aged though because they were like about to die yeah <laughs> it was like, okay your life expectancy is super low you're gonna go through two revolutions and an and an emperor yeah that's crazy come on okay tell me about okay. adrian also what a fun name i love when I, like a modern day name is from the past i do i mean i'm sure it's adrian yeah technically but we're well, I mean, all called adrian shakespeare made up the name jennifer for one of his plays really? that's where jennifer came from huh and we use it <laughs> weird thanks william i'm sorry no it's jennifer <laughs> um <laughs> okay adrian denoy was born on november 2nd 1759 to a noble parisian family her father was duke jean de no, I. <laughs> the hard name. And her mother was Duchess Henriette and Louis Dogacy. That's interesting that she was a noble and then so involved in the revolution. I know. I'm already mm -hmm. interested. 
her father was very close with the royal family of France, <gasps> in particular with Louis the Fourteenth and the Sixteenth. Oh my God, his head gets cut off though. I know. Shoot. <gasps> she had four sisters: Louis, Clotilde, Pauline, and Rosalie. And their mother was very keen on educating all of her girls in religion, literature, poetry, and the art of conversation. I need that. <laughs> I need that education. Adrienne was known as a very sh- uh, smart and sharp-witted young lady. But of course, by the time she was 12 years old, the question of her marriage was already being discussed. 12? 12. And it just so happened that there was a young man who was enrolled at the Versailles Military Academy who would soon need a wife. And he's hot, yeah? Oh my gosh, very yeah, hot. So His hot. name was Gilbert Dumochier Marquis de Lafayette. And for the parents, he checked all the boxes. He was wealthy. He was from a noble family. And his parents died early, so they probably wouldn't need to contend with, like, in-laws overstepping. And for Adrian, it wasn't such a bad deal either. He was wealthy. He was super handsome. And he was only two years older than her. So this could have been a lot worse A deal. This is a deal. It was. I mean, so he was 17, and she was 15 when they got married. Like, same. That's not too <laughs> That's not too bad no. for the time. To be marrying another teenager probably felt like, okay, like we're in this together. A it's teenager not a- with money, too. Exactly. Um, so the two were wed in April of 1774. And after they were married, she was even more impressed with his character, noting that he was brave, he was serious, and he was very kind, which I'm sure was also a relief. Because again, abuse it up to her. Abuse, it abuse, abuse, abuse. A lot worse. Sure could. So not only was she beginning to become fond of her husband, but she was falling in love with him, and he was falling in love with her. A love match. Very cute. Never happens. <laughs> the next year, Adrian gave birth to their first daughter, Henrietta. But then everything changed when Gilbert decided that he needed to sail to America to assist in the war effort, which was, of course, the Revolutionary War. Everyone, including Adrian, tried to convince him not to go, but he said he must fight for liberty. So even though she was heartbroken and nervous, she was really proud of her husband because she was like, you know what? At least he fucking stands for something. I love an altruistic dude. Yeah. (laughs) He was just like, I'm going. I'm going to go help. That's like the people who went to Ukraine just to help out. I know. It's like the confidence of like an 18 year old. (laughs) Of like, I'm going to sail across the seas to fight for liberty. With a wife and a baby. Yeah. College smug. Am I right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's like they were so much older back then at 18. Oh, I know. Like, he's already like 35. (laughs) He's retired. He's retired. He's He's like (laughs) literally has one foot in the grave, honestly. (laughs) Um, And of course, he eventually, Gilbert, made quite a name for himself in the Revolutionary War, becoming a personal favorite of George Washington, who apparently at first was like, who is this French child? Can someone get him a baguette and get him out of here? Like, what the fuck is he going to do for me? Yeah. But then eventually, like, I think, like, something very cool happened between them. I'm not going to get into it. I don't know, even remember what it was. But they eventually had, like, a father-son type relationship. Sure. Yeah. They were extremely close and also washington didn't have children of his own yeah and gilbert's father died when right. he was young very so cute. like this was like very like you're the daddy i've been looking for you're the son i've been looking for i'm a good war strategist you're a good war strategist just get the cherry tree and let's do this let's thing. do it don't let's, cut don't tell a lie yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Gilbert, I have one thing to tell you. <laughs> no lying. <laughs> this is Martha. No lying, but definitely abandon your wife anytime you can. <laughs> Please leave her. Everybody left back then. I mean, everything. It was a noble thing to do. Like, I think it was just like the noble thing to do. And also like to leave your wife men today go on business trips constantly, That's but true. like we have airplanes mm. so they can come back much faster. And cell phones. And also women go on business trips. <laughs> that sounded really sexist. Lots of people go on business trips mm-hmm. and then like you don't see each other, but we have connections. They didn't have that back then. Yeah. And that's why their letter writing was pristine. Exactly. And <laughs> they did have quite the correspondence. They wrote letters back and forth nearly constantly. Was it spicy? I it was more like just like adoring like they really did adore each other um and especially as while they were away like while he was away a lot of things happened she gave birth to their second daughter Anastasia um and then before she reached the age of two their first daughter Henrietta died stop so, so she a lot dealt with that alone on. yes she's dealing with a birth and the loss of her first daughter completely alone I'm it's devastated for her sad. I'm devastated um And then to make it even worse, like the war is becoming more tumultuous over in America. Mm -hmm. So they're like losing. Yeah, they're losing. She's getting all of his letters. He's not getting any of hers. So all she's getting and she's writing him letters constantly. All she's getting is why haven't you written to me? Is everything okay? What's going on? Are they (sighs) intercepting my letters or are you just not writing to me? Are you dead? Like, Gilbert is he's distressed he's distressed because there's no way to know it's like if you write an email now and you have the wrong email address it bounces back mm-hmm. you know what happened he has no idea what's going on yeah and like it's not like you can expect any better of the u.s postal service of a country that doesn't fucking exist we haven't even gotten to pony express time no what's happening here there's no like, train tracks no so like i I can't understand how, how anyone received a letter. mail across the street? How could you even? It's across an ocean on a boat with people without addresses. It's just like to my husband in Lafayette. America. In America, uh, in, <laughs> in the, the states, continent, like the continent, in of America. the in the colony, in the co- the British colony of America. Honestly, I don't understand no. how the fuck it worked. People were so smart so, back then. It's unreal. <laughs> so in seventeen seventy nine. Gilbert decides to surprise Adrian by returning to France. He loved to do this. He never gave her a heads up. He was just always like, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) They were so happy to be back together. And by the end of that year, they had a son who they named George Washington. Yes, I Lafayette. That's very fun. (laughs) I mean, George Washington Carver, George Washington Lafayette. They're like dripping throughout this story. Also, I would be pissed if my husband came home with no warning i'd be like give me four weeks to diet baby please i, I haven't like, even powdered my wig <laughs> i haven't brushed my teeth in weeks <laughs> i don't even know what a toothbrush my teeth are Where's gone my fan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh he loved the poppin but their reunion was short-lived because gilbert needed to return to the war because he did indeed have an ulterior motive coming home and that was to drum up more support from france so he's there and he's like, guys, 
We have got to help the Americans. Liberty is on the line. Now, TJ's in France right now. Was he meeting up with TJ? Oh, yeah. They're like really good friends. Of course. So they're hanging out and they get together and they bring like thousands of French troops back to the U.S. to fight. So he left his newborn son, but he did also bring like a lot of probably like pseudo sons but he like left george washington to go to george washington so like very bizarre would you Um, name a kid after your boss no (laughs) i mean i guess no because i don't have a boss technically you're your boss i'm my boss catherine the second catherine the second like sophia the first but catherine the second i'll call her kitty (laughs) kitty pride like (laughs) (laughs) x-men sure so and it's just really crazy to me because like Let's remember at this time, she's 20, he's 22. <laughs> and it would be another two years before he would, he would return to France again. I remember being 22. I was a fucking idiot. I was 22. <laughs> Thanks, Taylor. Um, 22 is terrible. Year. I didn't know Taylor was here. She is. She joined us. <laughs> All the way from LA. Did you see her announcement today? No, what happened? She's putting out 1989 Taylor's version in October. Mm. She just released the most recent Taylor's version this month. She's a machine, this woman. And she's on tour. I don't know how she's doing. Where did, what does she... Does she sleep? <laughs> I don't know. She's mm. probably eating a Is lot a of robot doing the tour and fiber. she's recording? <laughs> I don't know. So much fiber. Must be the fiber. It's the fiber. <laughs> just gotta stay regular. Got it. Um, so, <laughs> in January 1872, here arrives... Back again. Same way. Total surprise to Adrian. Lafayette. Back again. Mm-hmm. But word had gotten around France of his victories in America because now he's starting to do really well for himself. Yeah, now he's, he's like really making a name. And mm-hmm. Marie Antoinette tells Adrian, your husband is very brave. Like she's, <laughs> he's getting kudos from the queen herself. This is very exciting. Who is also a teen marriage love match oh yeah so they're pals um i would say that she's like the lady danbury to her queen charlotte (laughs) one might say what a comparison (laughs) what a comparison um and so he comes back home by september their last child was born another daughter who they named marie antoinette virginie Love their naming methods. They d- listen. Everybody and names sh- people after people. <laughs> but then it was back to America after a couple years, and then back to France. He comes back for good in 1785. So, so 17. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just doing Hamilton now. <laughs> Go ahead. But now that the Revolutionary War is over in the U.S., Gilbert wanted to bring that same energy of liberty to France. He wanted social justice and a liberal political government. Like, he was, like, okay with a constitutional monarchy. He goes, I don't want to get rid of the monarchy, but I want more power in the hands of the people. I Mm -hmm. want a written constitution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This, of course, would mean forfeiting his nobility, and he was okay with that. He was like, whatever, that's totally fine. Adrian's family, not so okay with it. They were like, Adrian, you have to tell your husband to fucking stop. We are going to lose our, sh- our social standings. There right. will be no more dukes and duchesses or marquees if he has his way. Sure. Adrian is like, no, thank you. I'm going to stick by my husband's side. I trust him. I love him. I'm here for the revolution. As you should do. Come on. I mean, look. America's Constitution is, I think, the shortest one ever written and the longest lasting. Mm -hmm. 
France tried to write one, and it they did their best. Yeah, but but it was like too much. I think I think the the difference was it was one we had a whole ocean between us and our ruler, mm-hmm. so you didn't have to kill everybody in the country, right? Which is a big it's a big difference. That's why ours was yeah. successful. We like we as the states didn't have to kill our neighbors yeah to have a revolution right. whereas in France you were literally the people next door to you were nobility and yeah. you had to cut their heads off yeah that's crazy yeah it and makes it harder it does make it harder and that's why like so this is 1789 and things are getting really heated in the French revolution yes and he makes his political beliefs very public by joining the national assembly and presenting the document in question, mm-hmm. the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen. And natural law. Mm-hmm. Which his old pal, Thomas Jefferson, helped him write, which I thought was so interesting. I TJ is so good at that. Mm-hmm. It was presented on July 11th, and on the 14th, they stormed the Bastille. On July 15th, Lafayette, Gilbert, was acclaimed commander-in-chief of the Parisian National Guard. And in October, when the king rejected the declaration officially, another riot was started. This one was led by the female fishmongers, which I absolutely love. Yeah. And the women of France marched to Versailles, famously shouting for bread. This would later be called October Days or the Women's March on Versailles. Marie Antoinette did not say let them eat cake, but Gilbert did try and create peace by leading her and the royal family famously out on the balcony to talk about it things are getting crazy he's like hey guys like i know things are really fucking bad right now because they want the royal family to be murdered they're like off with their heads we fucking hate them and he's there being like i'm on your side i fucking wrote the new constitution like i want things to be good Mm -hmm. but i also don't want more people to be beheaded than is necessary so he is the one that pushes Marie Antoinette and the family out on the balcony and he kisses Marie Antoinette's hand. And that kind of settled the crowd. Settled the crowd. It really did. It was really interesting. Um, you know, because you literally have a crowd calling for her to be shot. And then he did that. And they're like, long live the king. I don't know why this one simple action made such a difference, but but it did. Um, so the revolution continued. Like, they escort the royal family back to Paris because that was really, like, what the, like, you know, you need to get back to Paris. You can't hide away in Versailles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not a good idea to be not in a your good idea. crazy lavish mansion pal- with palace village. Tiny village of a whatever palace. that was. With your four children and, like, crazy. everything's crazy. So they bring them back to Paris, but... Things are going, and there does seem to be a bit of a riff because Gilbert Gilbert is constantly trying to argue that we shouldn't kill them, that we should still maintain the royal family. And people start to accuse him of being a royal apologist. They're like, why are you fighting so hard to save these people when all they have done is take from us? They're not good. Why do you keep fighting for them? It's so crazy, but it's also like the, every answer should not be the death penalty, maybe? Right, like exactly. Maybe not only the guillotine, we have other options, like maybe mm-hmm. just you aren't the king anymore? Right. So it's hard because, again, this is very different from the American Revolution. Right. Everything was across the ocean. This is, 
as you said, all homegrown. Everyone is right there in the same city, starving. And they're like, you want us to save their lives, even though they have everything and we have have nothing. nothing. So to put it way too simply, things are a bit messy right now. And Gilbert is now involved in a plot to evacuate the royals. And this is called the Flight to Varan. Then there uh, was the Champ de Mar massacre, and this was supposed to be a petition signing event, and this turned deadly. Gilbert himself was almost killed, and the crowd even stormed his home and attempted to kill Adrienne. Remember her? The person this whole friggin' story is about? <laughs> Where has she been? <laughs> She's at home, caring for the babies, worrying about her husband. But yeah, everybody was being stormed. Everyone's being stormed. It's really crazy so in 1791 the lafayette family were exiled to his home in the countryside so they're like maybe this is a good thing maybe we'll just like stay out in the country at the chateau we'll fix it up we'll have a nice quiet life 1792 war breaks out between austria and france gilbert is gone yet again he tried to command a troop, but a large group of the men were the Jacobins or Jacobin sympathizers. Yeah. And this was the super radical group that yes. really wanted to behead the royals. Spelled so, like Jacobins. Yes. <laughs> so this was not, it is pronounced Jacobin, right? It is. You're right. Oh, okay, good. I was like. <laughs> no, you're right. I just, I, I always see it and I'm like, that's my husband's exactly. name. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. How cute of him to be in history. <laughs> Other than the Bible. Other than the Bible. <laughs> other um, than, like, you know, Jacob, the, like, most beautiful man in the Bible. Other than the ladder. <laughs> and his ladder. Jacob so, and his ladder. So this whole thing is, like, not going well. People demanded that he step down from his post. So he did. Then he writes a strong letter saying that these radicals should be shut down by force. But unfortunately, they were already in control of Paris. So, like... That didn't really do anything. I've never written a strong letter. No. So after the letter, he storms Paris, denouncing the Jacobins, expecting people to rise up with him. But that didn't happen because the mood had shifted. So he goes, oh, no. I thought I had more supporters, but now they have more supporters. My year at the Chateau, I did not get the 411. So he leaves and just gets the hell out of France. But there's still a war going on. Do they have enough money to just retire? That's, I think that's what he was trying to do. I think that's what Adrian wanted him to do at the Chateau. She's like, let's just let it play out. We got our money. Let's just hang out here. down. And then he's like, I have to go to war with Austria. And she goes, do you really? He has so (sighs) much energy. He does. Because he's a young buck. Lafayette has zero chill. He literally none. (laughs) So he crosses the border of France to get out of there, and he's captured by the Austrians, and he's put in a prison in Prussia. Foreign prison, never good. (sighs) Not good. Poor Adrienne is just at home with her kids, worried sick about her husband. Sure. Because she doesn't know what happened to him. She eventually got news that he escaped France, which she's like, well, that's a relief. But she still doesn't know that he has been captured and he's in a foreign prison. But Adrian was not stupid. She could see the writing on the wall. So she sends her children away, not to America quite yet, but she's like, you need to go stay with, like, some other family members to, like, be safe. Mm. It's a lie in the witch in the wardrobe situation. Exactly. Got it. Um, but her two daughters, Anastasie and Virginie, were, wanted to return to her. They're a little bit older at this point, and they're like, Mom, like, we're not kids. Like, 
we want to be with you. We wanna... I'm 13. I'm practically an adult. <laughs> on. I could be married already. <laughs> they, um, but then they were arrested during this process and put under house arrest. And it, this whole part of the story is like very muddy. Like I couldn't get a clear answer on this. But then she's like, I think under house arrest with her daughters. Then she discovers that or maybe it was just her daughter's under house arrest. I couldn't quite tell. But she, either way, she finds out that her husband is imprisoned in Prussia. And she is trying everything to get him out of prison. She's frantically writing letters to any leader she could. She's writing to the king of Prussia. She is writing frequently to George Washington. And he is not answering her. And that is sending her into an absolute panic. Yes. She's like, my husband did so much for you. Like, can you please help us? Yeah. And he's like. It's kind of a junior country. Like, we're not so established yet to be, like, making demands of Prussia. Yeah. But <laughs> so, like, um, to put this in perspective, so George Washington physically couldn't because if he wrote back, it would be considered the U.S. So mm -hmm. he was sending the letters to other people in America mm -hmm. to, like, write back to her, which is very unfortunate. It is unfortunate. It sucks because he he's, like, the reason we won the American Revolution. I know. <laughs> They're like, sorry, we can't like make a political stance on that. Again, we're just a little too fresh. <laughs> um, and honestly, the other part of the problem is no one is listening to an aristocratic French woman at this time. They're pissed at her. They're pissed at the aristocracy. Yeah. And also it's like the clock is ticking, baby. You guys are not going to be existing very soon. Like the French Revolution is going on. Right. Like times are tumultuous they got that picture with that woman with the flag with her boob out mm -hmm. like things are happening mm -hmm. then louis the 16th was executed shit and an order went out for the arrest of anyone who had been helping the lafayette family in particular shit in 1793 adrian's mother sister and grandmother were all arrested and executed by guillotine Adrian was also arrested and soon transferred to La Force Prison in Paris. And day by day, she saw people she knew being executed by guillotine because her cell window looked out onto the square. That's so real she's shitty. literally sitting there watching, and she's like, I'm next. I'm next. When are they going to call my name? They're I gonna know kill I'm going to kill me. They're, They're going to kill me. Kill me. Doesn't matter what my family name is or the one I married into. Or is. the fact that we've helped with all the revolutions. Doesn't fucking matter. But thankfully, the Americans finally did step in. Elizabeth Monroe, wife to James Monroe, future president of the United States. Thanks, girl. Came to France. She visited Adrian in her prison cell and demanded that she be released. And now it's like they were like, okay, well, maybe we don't want to endanger ties with this new United States. So France abruptly reverses, or like whoever is the Jacobins, whoever the fuck is in control of France right now. It's so confusing. They reverse it's like it's Rome with like the first triumphant, the exactly. second triumphant. Who's in charge? Nobody fucking knows. No one knows. So they're like, okay, well, like this is a newly revolutionized country. So like they're the best people to have on our side. So if they're saying release Adrian, like that's what we'll do. <laughs> so they release Adrian. Thank God, and they did not execute her. So it's 1795. She's released, and she moves quickly. She goes, okay, first, little George Washington, you're going to the United States. That is the safest place for you. 
you're going over there. Then she starts to gather passports and documentation for the rest of the family to leave for the U.S. But then she discovers that her husband is not going to be released from his prison because that's in Prussia. That is not James Monroe. Like, that is not the Monroe territory. Like, they have no sway in Prussia at this time. Sure. So she goes, okay. I never even know what Prussia is. I never know. I think it's Austria now. Sure. I think it's Austria. It's like a weird, like, I think it's like on the border of like Austria and Germany. Yeah. I always like, I always know it's there. I know it's there. I hear the name all the time, but I don't know what it means. (laughs) So Adrian is like, you know what? I know I have plans to flee, but she goes, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to go to this prison and I'm going to join him. Time to hang out in a prison. So her daughter's. God bless them, wanted to stick with their mother and see their father again. So all of the Lafayette girls enter into the prison cell together to be reunited with Gilbert. He, this is time for her to surprise him. He cannot believe his eyes. They open the door and his wife and his daughters run in. Can you imagine? I can't. I literally can't because he's been here for three years at this point. He's like peeing on himself constantly. He's not doing good. No. Uh, His muscles are atrophying. Yeah, he's not. So this is just like a huge deal for him. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, she could have gotten out. She could have gone back with the Monroes and just been safe and been like, okay, like, fuck my husband. Like, goodbye. I got my children. I'm safe. Everything's fine. Let's go. We'll figure it out. Adrian's a ride or die girl. Yeah. She goes, I'm going to be in prison. And they told her, they're like, you, once you go in, like you can't leave. And she goes, okay, that's fine. So the whole Lafayette family is now in prison together. And this is like before, like, okay. So like, they're not like giving you pull up bars and books Mm -hmm. in prison. You are like sitting in a cell 24 hours a day with literally nothing. Yeah. These are harsh conditions. There's, it I mean, creates, at least she even had a little window in it her creates cell in mental Paris. health problems yeah because you go insane yeah this is really bad and it starts to take a toll on all of them adrian tried to keep things positive in their dark damp cell yeah, but your having, kids are there you can't even like bang it out no you can't and so like she does like she writes to the family banker and he sends money and he goes like please give them some more food and they do so that's nice she even tried to keep herself sane by writing a biography of her mother, but she didn't have any material, so she wrote it on the margins of another book with a toothpick. What a psycho. She's insane. I want to try to write a book with a toothpick. Come on. <laughs> no matter how hard she tried, she, she was suffering, and her health was declining. She wrote to the emperor about her condition, and he said, well, you know what? And this is Emperor of Prussia. He goes, since you volunteered to be in here, I will let you go and leave the prison and seek medical care. But he goes, but you won't be able to return. And she goes, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather suffer with my husband than be separated again. But thankfully, as soon, a man named Napoleon had taken over France and he demanded the release of all the French prisoners in Prussia. So finally, after five years of imprisonment and two for Adrian and her daughters, they were released in 1797. Adrian was barely alive. She was not doing okay. I mean, so actual nepotism helped them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the literal definition, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. 
love the, it. The family was released to the American consul in Hamburg, and they stayed there trying to just like piece their lives back together. Within a year, baby George Washington had returned from America to rejoin his family, and their daughter, uh, their daughter Anastasia, was married. And slowly but surely, like Adrian, like was getting better. And she needed to regain her strength because she was going to make the dangerous trip back to France. So Napoleon had called for all their releases, but there was still like a lot of bad blood going on with the Lafayettes and France. And especially because like Napoleon wanted them to declare their like loyalty to him. And Gilbert was like, I don't know if I'm down for that yet. He's like, like, he's (laughs) like, I've been in prison. I like don't exactly know the situation that's going on. But it's like, if you're another tyrant, then Mm -hmm. I don't particularly want to do that. And Napoleon's like, bend the knee. Exactly. And he's like, sorry, I don't bend the knee. He refused to swear loyalty to Napoleon. So, and Napoleon has all these ulcers. mm -hmm. So he's certainly not welcome in France right now. Um, So, but the problem is like all of their money and their worldly belongings that are left are in France. So Adrian sneaks back into France to salvage what is left of their family fortune. And again, this is one of the lines that really made me absolutely insane when I was researching. This is like, she outmaneuvered Napoleon and got their belongings back. I'm like, what do you need? Somebody tell me. How did she do that? Please tell me what means, but like, what does outmaneuver mean? Like, did he know she was coming and set up guards and she went around the guards? I literally don't know. Did she write him a letter that was like, I'm never coming back, you bitch, and then came back instead? I literally don't know how she got everything back, but she did. She got all of their stuff back. I'm just making it up. She and, was like candlesticks. And she spends like two years doing this. So she's oh, like, she's in and out. She's oh, yeah. snow treasuring it. Yeah, yeah. She's like, like coming in and she's like, I don't know. She gets all their money back. A lot of their stuff and they eventually settled down in amsterdam a dream Come the on. tulips everyone loves it until but, world war ii yeah but adrian's health was still in decline so she has three uh like two or three sisters left and they go to visit her in amsterdam and they're like you look terrible you look a lot older than 40 years old shit i'm almost 40 did yeah. she look a lot older than she me? looks terrible decrepit one might decrepit, say yeah mm. The family wanted to come home. They wanted to return to France. So Adrian, again, still so incredibly weak. She just died. She's like, I'm going to go to Napoleon myself. She flatters him. She praises him on his military success. And she makes her case. She goes, look, my husband's never going to bend the knee. It's not going to happen, buddy. But what if we come back and he just keeps a low profile? Let us go to our chateau in the country. We won't make any waves. We're down for you. No. But, like, we don't want to be involved politically anymore. I'll get off Facebook. Mm -hmm. So Napoleon agrees on the condition that Gilbert keeps a low profile. So finally, after years of imprisonment and exile, the Lafayettes were home in their family chateau, all thanks to Adrian. Baby George Washington Lafayette even got married there in 1802, and a year later, Virginie was married there as well. Adrian died on December 25th, 1807, at the age of 48, surrounded by her family in her home, something that just a decade before seemed impossible for them. 
Gilbert was devastated by the loss of his wife. The two had enjoyed a turbulent but always passionate marriage. And I wish I knew more about what Adrian was thinking and doing. I mean, people call her the husband, the hero of two worlds. And with that, I'd like to call her the queen of two worlds because she was behind the scenes the entire time making it possible for him to be overseas and even just in Paris doing the things that she was doing. But she seems to be lost to history. Her Wikipedia page, as I said before, is tragically short, and she was not even mentioned in the biographics video of her husband. Simon Wessler, I'm very disappointed. That's really fucked up. Like the biographic of your husband? It wasn't mentioned once. Literally not even like he was married. There was no mention of her. Very upsetting. So her story is to say that behind the hero of two worlds is the queen holding the fort down, supporting him, and getting shit done so that he can have towns and streets and whatever the hell else named after him because she was a ride-or-die bitch. Well, it's one of my (laughs) I mean, it's absolutely amazing. It's also one of my favorite things about, like, the musical Hamilton is that it's called Hamilton Mm -hmm. and not Alexander Mm -hmm. because the idea is that it's so much about Eliza as well. And that's why, like, the name Lafayette is so important because it isn't just him. He didn't do it on his own. Yeah, and it's why I didn't want to call him Lafayette the whole story because it's like he was Gilbert and she was Adrian Lafayette. Like they were both solely given to him. And it makes me angry because like her accomplishments are so sidelined because like he is a great historical figure. Sure. He did so much, but like, could he have done as much? Could his legacy have continued in the way that it did? He literally couldn't have a son named George Washington if it wasn't for Adrian. And if, and she had every right to be like, I'm not doing this. I'm nobility. I don't want to do this. I'm taking my I'm taking the kids and I'm running. And she didn't. He also would have probably died in prison if she didn't yeah. show up and give him Oh, absolutely. Like, physical and mental support. She and gave then him two go, more years of support. Go to Napoleon and get him out of there. I know. I know. I know. Mm. So anyways, Let's talk about these two ladies <laughs> in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. So I think it's interesting that, like, we're talking about two very, like, the topic of, like, bloodlines comes up a lot in, like, history and fiction so and whatever. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that, like, both of their stories started off very differently. Like, Amelia, like, it's very off the bat, like, mixed heritage, mm-hmm. very, like, lower echelon, especially in the South, oh, being sure. a black American. Oh, sure. And Adrian is starting the story very differently. Very noble. Very, you know, quote-unquote, pure heritage. Very Upper rich. echelon. Money is no issue. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no doubt that, like, Adrian is going to be okay in life. And right. there are a lot of doubts as to whether or not Amelia is going to be okay in life. <laughs> right, but then they both end up by the end pulling the old switcheroo. Yes. Like Amelia sees her end goals to fruition and yeah. Adrian is dying at 48 without seeing what she wanted to see. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because they're both living through 
turbulent times. You know, we're talking about two different revolutions, the French Revolution, American Revolution, the civil rights movement. They're freedom like, efforts. They're all freedom are efforts. all freedom efforts. And these are very dedicated women who I think showed their dedication in very different ways. Oh, yeah. So Amelia is what I think we would kind of note as like a more modern woman an activist she's the activist Uh she's on the front line for sure she's marching she's getting beat up by the cops and i do feel like we lose the women like adrian because like let's not forget in the civil rights movement there were people who were staying at home and taking care of the babies and like they were also there doing what they needed to do to support the movement and it's just we know a little bit more about Adrian, and like a lot of the women in other movements have been lost who were supporting and don't really get the credit. Well, it's kind of like when you talk about a home front war. Uh-huh. Yeah, when you talk about like in World War II, the women who were making gardens and sewing parachutes and like saving fabric by like making bikinis, like shit like that happens and it's like on the shoulders of people who Mm -hmm. we will never know their names Mm -hmm. and I feel like we know Adrienne's name because she was so in the forefront but there were so many French women Mm -hmm. supporting the the ideas of freedom yeah some of which were murdered and some of which were very wealthy yeah like wealthy women like I think that's a very that's an interesting dichotomy of this discussion that you have a poor black woman she is the marginalized community Mm -hmm. and not even necessarily a poor black woman you have a you know average class black woman who's Mm -hmm. the marginalized community and she is speaking out and trying to change things and getting in fights and getting beaten up wealthy women did that as well Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like that scene in that cartoon robin hood where it's like the alms for the poor situation Mm. and you have the mouse that gives their like last penny and it's like this is all i have to give adrian had so much to give yeah, so it's very did. different. It's not that she didn't give it all because she did. She gave up yeah. her freedom and mm-hmm. went to prison. Mm-hmm. But when she came out, she still had her money to steal. Yeah, she did. She had stuff to, to reclaim. But I think one of the commonalities I'm seeing, too, between them, even though there are a lot of differences, is there's a lot of loss in both of their stories. Oh, like, sure. And I think that's something that it doesn't matter how much money you have because like death affects us all very equally sure and i feel like they both lost people like i'm thinking about adrian in that cell and like literally just watching her aristocratic friends getting beheaded she's friends with marie antoinette she gets beheaded and yeah. she's like oh my gosh i'm next if and they like, take the queen why not me why not me and then at the end it's like it's like wow like i guess my money doesn't mean anything in this moment at that point her husband's political connections came through for her sure but that wasn't really about the money of course he had the means to get over to the u.s so many times to help out to garner support right they could have left at any time but they could have left at any time and i feel like that's something that amelia was also experiencing she's like it doesn't like when the cops come for us in these marches they don't know who has money and who doesn't. Right. They don't know who's a famous activist and who's not. They are just beating us. Like I am just a black person at that point. Exactly. In the chaos of a revolution, I think those lines and those barriers do kind of, they shut down. And at the end of the day, like both of these women were physically, psychologically, mm-hmm. like harmed for the cause. Sure. You know, and 
even though they fought it very differently, you know, and I don't know. I just, it's interesting because I think most of them, uh, most of Adrian's fight was fought at home mm-hmm. and like obviously she was imprisoned for years but like mainly it was fought at home and Amelia was so active and like literally in the streets and then it kind of makes me think like wow it doesn't matter like how much time you spend in the streets and how much time you spend at home you still suffer the same losses mm-hmm. you know like the the devastation of being a part of a revolution is still equal no matter how physically active you are in it and they were both surrounded by these incredible household names that are yeah. men. Like the the men in Adrian's story and the men in Amelia's story were were and are so famous. But one thing stuck out to me was that this idea of like a a, a peaceful transition to power. Like Lafayette was like, I am going to kiss. Uh, Marie Antoinette's hand to try to bring peace to this crazy mob that's like wanting to kill her to remind you mm-hmm. that like this is still a person mm-hmm. and I think that Amelia you know going to that funeral yeah. um, and being like you know what I am going to kiss the hand of this man who was angry and doing something that I bet he regrets you know yeah. as a as a county sheriff or whatever like they were both pushing this idea of peace and freedom together. Yeah. Which is, it's a very hard line to walk because in general, the general public is fucking dumb. Yeah. You can, I mean, people are literally black and white. Usually it's like, I'm either for this or I'm against it. Yeah. People don't see the nuance. And I think both these women were in a position to see the nuance. Yeah. I think so too. I think that's a great point. Ah, all right. Ready to toast you something? Yeah, of course. Okay. Who would you like to toast this evening? So tonight I just want to toast in general to big anniversaries. Mm. I was very touched by the fact that she was at the 50th anniversary of her own beating. Yeah. And I think um, I think big moments and small moments are all worth celebrating. So whether mm. it's been like, you know, you've been married for 25 years or you stopped drinking a week ago. Yeah. I think anniversaries are worth celebrating and it's kind of what makes life worth living when we can look back and be like, I've done this for this long. Yeah. So cheers that. to your anniversaries. Cheers. Cheers. I'm going to toast the writer dies. <laughs> Obviously, this can go bad. If the oh, person sure. you're right or dying for is a bad person. <laughs> and I don't really know. Maybe the Marquis de Lafayette, maybe Gilbert was a terrible person. I don't know. It doesn't. Who knows? He seems like a dream. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but I do love that, like, Adrian was not stupid. No. She didn't just say, yeah, I'm going to go along with this because that was her husband. She went along with it because she respected him and his ideas and his beliefs. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, how much time have they actually spent together at that point? Not very long. (laughs) So those were her ideas as well. They're her ideas as well. And I love a ride or die person who's also just there on their own accord. Sure. So. Cheers. Cheers. All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I have decided that um, 
Facebook is useless unless you're on like a fan page. Yeah. And not just like fan pages. I've really started like I was getting frustrated <laughs> with like my friends and family and their posts. So I started like, oh, you know what? I really like cemeteries. I visit cemeteries all the time. So I decided to follow a cemetery enthusiast group. And now I see all these pictures of cool graves. Oh. And I decided to follow um, maximalist design. So mm -hmm. now I see like all these cool interiors of houses and like so now my Facebook is like covered with things that I like. Is it more like Instagram feeling? Yes. Instead of like political bullshit, mm -hmm. I'm like in the door appreciation society and people just take pictures of cool fucking doors from around the world and I post them. That. It's it's like changing how Facebook feels to me because it's just me viewing images of things I like. Yeah. And then I post images of like, oh, I'm in Baltimore and this is a fucking really cool church door. And everybody's like, oh, my God, that's a really cool church door. I feel like it's fulfilling the thing that it was supposed to in the beginning. Yes. Of like connecting with people who are interested in the same things as you. Right. So I don't know when it got away from that, but it did. So like, that's really fun. I highly suggest like when you see those things, you know, you can scroll through like new friends. Uh -huh. Sometimes it's like, hey, these are societies you might like to be involved in. I highly suggest like looking through and actually clicking on a couple of them. Yeah. Be because it, it really like if you're somebody who's really into insects and it's like this is an insect society. You did it with the plant thing a couple oh of years my ago. Gosh. The, ha the happy house plant group or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. It's fascinating because there are some things like someone's like, hey, this is happening with my Monstera. And Help I'm like, me. that's happening with my Monstera. Like, exactly. what is the deal? And then yeah. people were like, this is the solution. I'm like, Thanks. amazing. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Like, I've never. I think I've, you know what, I did post one thing and it was like a mm -hmm. picture of my solarium and it was really fun to get people like liking it and like being really excited about it because there are people that are excited about the things that I'm excited about, right. you know, so it is really fun, but I like never really think to do it, you know. Like, yeah, I don't post a lot, but I like liking and commenting on other people's stuff mm -hmm. and I just think that it, you're exactly right. It's what social media was meant to be and it just feels so good yeah. i feel like i'm learning again mm. on social media instead of being nice. like pulled into the dramatic bullshit of yeah. everyday life yeah so i highly suggest I picking that. a couple things you're interested in and joining a group perfect what are you it. into right now okay so i'm gonna recommend a book it's by one of my favorite authors tana french she's one of the few people that i have read every single one of her books sure. and this is the latest one so she wrote a whole, and I've promoted her before, she wrote a whole Dublin Murder Squad series. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I love the way she did it. It was so interesting to me. And the last two books have been one-offs. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to know the Dublin Murder Squad in order to get into this. This is called The Searcher. And I was reading it quicker than I thought I was. Mm -hmm. Like it was one of those things where like I was reading it and then I'd put it down on it. You know how like you look at where you're, like your dog ear is, your and you're like, is, yeah. whoa. I was like, wow, that was going quicker than I was realizing, mm -hmm. you know? It was so good, and all of her books take place in Ireland, and this is putting uh, an ex-Chicago PD into Ireland. You mean the two coolest places on Earth? Yes. Chicago and Ireland. <laughs> so it's a fascinating book. It's so good, so well-written. And a lot of the reviews were like, this feels like classic Tana French. Like, she's really, like, back to her roots. And I mm -hmm. couldn't agree more. So if you like mysteries, whodunits, what's goings-ons, 
It's a great book, and you don't have to read any other thing that she's written in order to get into it, which I really love. So I love that. The Searcher by Tana French. Good. <laughs> I love it. All right. So thank you all for listening. We love that you were here. If you want even more of this, check us out on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can hang out. You can join our little community and you can buy us a drink and support the show. We're in so many places. We're Mm -hmm. on all the social medias. We love when you comment, when you talk, when you give us requests. It's really a treat. It's the best. Um, And if you wouldn't mind going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a little rate, a little review, we would really appreciate it. It makes our day. It really does. Um, And other than that, all we really desire in the whole world is for you to never forget that well-behaved women do not get involved in fights for freedom. No, they don't. And they really make history. Goodbye. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.